Okay, for a few moments this morning, I want to look at the passage that uh, Jenny read for us in Matthew chapter 1 from verse 18, the birth of Jesus, and the title is The Coming King. We're looking at the King, uh, the coming of the King over these uh, number of weeks. And uh, I'm pretty sure you all know this story very well, uh, the nativity stories that we hear about and that are read, uh, and there's probably you probably will have opportunity to go to more carol services this year than you've ever had in your life uh, online because uh, that seems to be uh, what's available, and that's, that's great. But I think sometimes because of that, the nativity information, particularly the nativity information, maybe becomes stylized. Uh, we're so used to hearing it or reading it, particularly this time of year, and for so many people, it is just fable, isn't it? It's fable. It's myth. It's legend. It's, it's, it's cultural. It's just part of what they, they read and hear about and learn at this time of year. Uh, but we remain firmly convinced, and we continue to remind ourselves that what we have in Scripture is historical truth. It's not myth. It's not legend. It's not warm and fuzzy emotional um, imaginations uh, for this time of year. Uh, and it's actually very earthy, and it's very gritty. And if we allow ourselves to um, consider the truths that lie uh, within the historical facts that are recorded for us, we see a great tension, a tension between our reality and God's reality. And that really, that, that goes through the whole of life. That just doesn't just happen in the nativity story. It happens throughout Scripture, and it happens throughout our understanding of us and our understanding of God. There's a tension. There's always that danger, I think, of trivializing the birth of Jesus um, with one big almighty, oh, isn't it lovely? Because that's what we do with the birth of children. We saw the photograph of Emma, that's what, you, that's what we all did. Oh, that's, that's lovely. And that's absolutely right, of course. But it's something much, much greater and much deeper than simply uh, the, the birth of a child. There's theological, historical, and spiritual truth that is absolutely life-changing and foundational for us. So I want to look a little bit at God's reality and then uh, through Joseph's experience uh, as uh, a person, how, how that affect, what's that like for our reality and what it means. So God's reality that comes through this passage is very clear, isn't it? He makes clear to us, not just then, but now, that there is an indisputable spiritual world that we can't see today, as it was then. You know, we're told there in verse 20 uh, that uh, as uh, uh, Joseph Mary had told Joseph about what was, what was going to be happening, and uh, he was going to uh, put her away, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him that what was conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit. We just, we just kind of scam over that, don't we? And yet what we have there is the reality of, of God's indisputable revelation of a spiritual world. Something that's totally real, but not physical. So that, you know, 
there's a world that is not measurable by our standards, not empirically provable, not easily defined, beyond our finite understanding in many ways, but real. And we sense it, and we sense its shadows in our longings, in our consciousness, in our creativity, in our love, in our fears, in our relentless search for meaning, for discovery, for origins. We find it in what we call our soul, in the unexpected and in the unexplained. And it's this spiritual reality, it's this spiritual world that God reveals to us is as real as the person sitting next to you. More real, maybe, in some ways. So there's an undisputable spiritual world. And God's reality uh, within that gives us His own self-revelation. So God reveals Himself as God of the spiritual world, as a spiritual God. He is a spirit. He says that, that He is a spirit, a spirit who is real, a person, creative mind and word. God who, as He reveals Himself in the Word, is the author of all life and all love. A triune God. Can you understand that? No, I can't. Can can you? A triune God? A God who created a spiritual world, who created the angelic beings who were good, some of whom became evil and rebelled against God and became demons. Reminding us of the reality of where the angels came from, their heavenly home, and of the reality of, of being separated from God in an everlasting hell of demons. That spiritual reality, where we are immediately uneasy, where we're immediately out of our comfort zone. But I would, I would challenge anyone that I spoke to that however suppressed it may be, that deep down we know that. We know that world we know that spiritual world. We may den- people may deny it and resist it and ignore it, but if we do so, we will always be lost until we face up to and live in the reality of the spiritual world that God reveals. Reveals in His Word and reveals through this birth, where something new, which something special which something never to be recreated or where we, you know, we talk about turning back. the Wouldn't we like to turn back the clocks from 2020? Yeah, in many ways we probably would. can't turn back the clock though, can we? And we certainly can't turn back the clock, nor would we want to, on this unique birth where the physical and the spiritual realms are fused together hugely, powerfully. And nothing from that moment on, from that conception on, nothing will ever be the same. The coming of the King in this way has changed the universe forever. It is the the greatest and most life-changing event that has ever occurred. And uh, we see uh, that this unique birth, uh, God uh, prophesied in unfolding history. We we saw that. Thomas spoke about that last week, uh, the fulfillment of uh, many centuries of promise. And it's mentioned here in verse 22, uh, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. 
So we know that this unfolding history uh, has been preparing for this unique coming together of the spiritual world and of the physical world. It's the unseen, overarching pattern of history. It's God-shaped. History is God-shaped. And history is spiritual, breaking into our physical universe. And we, so we see that in the unfolding history that's spoken of here. But we also see it in His unique birth, don't we? Now, this is a really vital truth. What is conceived in you is uh, is conceived of the Holy. What is uh, what has you've come together, and uh, he says, the angel says to her, "Do not fear. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." This great vital truth that God the Son, Jesus the Savior, becomes flesh and blood through the mysterious touch of God the Father. Through the Spirit, He is born into the womb of Mary, conceived into the womb of Mary, the God-man, spiritual, physical coming together. Now, I can't explain that. That's beyond my comprehension, probably, I suspect, beyond yours. But it's very important. It's, it's not to be rubbished. It's not to be mythologized, because there's deep theological uh, truth that God uh, enables us to recognize the importance of this. He's breaking, God is clearly breaking the hereditary sinful nature of human birth. He's breaking into the ordinary will and uh, physical and physiological union of a loving couple in uh, bringing conception to bear, and He is breaking into that with His own infinite Son who takes on flesh, uh, a human nature along with His divine nature, in one person, in utero. The remarkable truth of the incarnation. And so, God is breaking in both through history and the revelation of prophecy, both through the unique birth of Jesus in this unique way, which has never ever been repeated, nor will it be, but also in His names, in the names that He gives and that are declared of Jesus. You know, we, we talked just for a moment about names uh, with the kids, and I'm not sure how much names mean to us or how much effort other than, oh, I really like that name or uh, that name's important in our family, or something like that. Um, I certainly think in our context, we don't put as much, uh, um, we don't weigh names in the same way that it would have been in the ancient Near Eastern culture. But we see often in the Bible uh, that names help to describe the work or uh, the character even of an individual. And the Christ has many names. But here he's given the name Jesus. All, all his names are very significant. And again, last week, Thomas looked at a number of them from Isaiah uh, that are very well known to us, wonderful counselor, and so on. But here he's called Jesus. They're both very significant names. Jesus, the Savior. Joshua, the Savior of sinners. The Savior. And Emmanuel. 
God with us. Hugely significant names that are declared to Joseph, uh, who will be uh, his earthly father, as it were, uh, although not genetically or physically. And they explain, don't they, right from that early, right from the very beginning, they explain why Jesus is here. He's not called the, the woodworker. He's not named the carpenter. He's not named the preacher. His name doesn't mean any of these things, particularly here, because what God wants Joseph and us to know is that he has come to be uh, the Savior of sinners. That's his role. He will be called Jesus because he is the one who will save his people from their sins. That's us. That's every one of us. And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. These names tell us a great deal about what we would casually call the reason for the season. They remind us of the significance and the importance that we need to be redeemed. We need, to be, we need a Savior. And the most important person we need in our lives is God, God with us, which is promised through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we have this unmistakable spiritual reality, God breaking into our physical world to reveal our spiritual bankruptcy before Him with this astonishing commitment to gift us His Son. And that is huge because it has turned the world upside down, but I hope and pray it's also turned your life upside down. Not just 20 years ago when you professed faith, or five years ago, or 40 years ago, or last week, but every day that our life is transformed by this knowledge of who God is. So, we've seen uh, God's reality. Uh, what about God's, just briefly, what about God's reality for us? Uh, how, that, how we take that and apply it into our own hearts and lives on a regular basis. And I'm just going to focus on one thing. I'm just going to focus on Emmanuel, God with us, what, what that means. Uh, not all that it means, uh, just a little bit of what it means in the person and work of Christ. And at one level, Emmanuel, which we sing about and which we believe and which we rejoice in, at one level, it's the most inconvenient truth that we are ever faced with as sinners before a holy God. It's, it's not the most comforting truth in many ways for us in our natural sinful condition because we've rebelled against God and we're not really that keen on God, even in His love. And if we are challenged by this spiritual reality which is unseen and which therefore is easy to avoid, our lives will be turned upside down. And that's that's t- and that's ongoing tough for us as Christians. In many ways, he's the most troublesome and uncomfortable challenge, at least to our self-absorbed independence, where we want to go alone and we want to be on our own. We're not really that keen on having God in our lives. We know there's much more to it than that, but coming to Christ and being in Christ, it doesn't make life easier, does it? Can we testify to that this morning? Can we be honest enough to testify to that this morning? We're spiritually alive, and I'll go on to talk about that briefly, but we're battling evil and deadness and remaining defeated, certainly, but intoxicating blindness and deep spiritual opposition to God. 
because of what remains of sin to be defeated and not to be defeated but to be destroyed in us. I hope when I think of the battle that uh, I have with God in my heart and life sometimes, I think of Tom Jones' great song, Did Trouble Me. When I closed my eyes and would not see, my Lord did trouble me. When I let things stand that should not be, my Lord did trouble me. Did trouble me with a word or a sign, with a ringing of the bell in the back of my mind. Did trouble me, did stir my soul for to make me human, to make me whole. And there's this wrestle, isn't there, with us in our lives uh, when we come to know the spiritual dimension and the spiritual realm and, and the reality of God in our lives. Now, let's look briefly at Joseph. Uh, Matthew speaks more about Joseph's side of the event. Luke looks more at Mary's side of the event. But think of Joseph for a moment. His, his, his life was literally turned upside down, wasn't it? Firstly, with that conversation from his fiancée, as we would say, but it was his betrothed. It was almost like marriage in uh, his own culture, saying she, she's pregnant. A dream from God she'd had. Sure, Mary. Sure you had a dream from God. Can you imagine how devastated he was in that culture, at that time, his position? But, you know, he was a righteous guy. He loved her, and he didn't want her disgraced. Let's not try and put 21st century lenses onto what is happening here uh, with a self-righteous judgment on, on how he's dealing with this. He loved her and didn't want her disgraced. He was going to divorce her, as, as was necessary, quietly in these days. But then he has a life-changing dream. A spiritual reality comes into his experience, and all is well again. He feels honored. This remarkable truth has happened. Something unique is going to happen with him and with Mary, and he's going to be involved in the coming of the Messiah and the Savior. And so he resets his life, and it's brilliant, his future with Mary. There's joy again. It's turned out well as God has come into his life. And then there's the census where he has to move uh, uh, to Nazareth. Uh, and there, he's homeless because there's no room in the inn for them. Um, and uh, the child is born, a cousin for John. All turns out good. And then there's shepherds, more breaking in from the spiritual realm. More dreams, more messages. Then there's wise men from the East with uh, amazing, expensive gifts. But then he has to go. He has to leave everything because his life is in danger. And there's assassins that want his child dead, along with all the other children, male children. Desperate killings, desperate death, desperate annihilation. Moves to a foreign country. Eventually returns to family life in Nazareth. Many unrevealed joys and battles. And we're not told anything really about that upbringing, except that when he's, Jesus is 12 years old, he goes missing uh, in Jerusalem. Pretty little story. Not. 12 years old. Three days lost. Image of previous assassins who wanted him de his, their child dead. 
It did not be in great terror and great fear. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a casual uh, event in his life. His life again turned upside down. And then sometimes within the next 18 years, he probably he died. Fairly young, we presume. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not the easiest of life that we have recorded for, his, for Joseph. Unheralded and unrecorded faith generally. And undoubtedly, there were good times. But there's also poverty, wasn't there? And there was fear and there was doubts and confusion, illness, and ultimately death. But yet God, God was in him and with him. And uh, when we look at that life, God's reality and the challenge of the spiritual reality of God breaking into Joseph's life, what's the counterbalance for us? What's the counterbalance for that life of challenge and difficulty and um, uh, unremarkable battles? He was declared righteous. You know, we're told there in verse 19 that this Joseph was right, a just man, a righteous man. There's a, there's a declarative emphasis behind uh, this term biblically that applies to him. He'd received the great gift of salvation. He was one who trusted in, in the coming Messiah who happened to be his son at that level. And that, that's the great… It's not even a counterbalance. It, it, it overbalances, it overcompensates a million times for anything that we will face in this life, however difficult and challenging and overcoming. It is the biggest deal because trusting that God is the Savior and that God is with us is the most… And, and committing our lives to Him is the, the most powerful counterbalance we could ever have. It's a, it's a presence, isn't it? Your ordinary, mundane, run-of-the-mill life is touched by the, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that will never, the presence of God in our lives. Wherever we go, wherever we are, we are one with God. His essence is in us and with us through the Holy Spirit and by the powerful work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have meaning, joy, purpose, assured victory, promises, fulfillment, forgiveness, that nothing in this world can match, that, that our pursuits and our, what we chase for in this life can only ever be a shadow of what we have in Christ. There's no human security, ambition, wealth, health, or long life that can replace us being able to say, my Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Nothing can replace that. There's nothing more significant than being able to say that. The privilege and the blessing of knowing being reunited with our God through Jesus Christ, through Him breaking into our experience, living the life we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserve, and being raised as the first fruit of our resurrection. Nothing changes in that, and I know you've heard that before. I know you know it back to front, but the challenge is for it to allow the Holy Spirit to work that into to, um, 
to just work that into our hearts and to allow our heart of stone to be replaced by a heart of flesh which knows and loves the living God as, as a, an appreciation of the gift that He has given to us. Because along with that, we have the great anticipation of heaven and all that heaven is. Uh, the anticipation of reunions and restoration and renewal, not just of, of our existence, but of the existence of this universe. And that is our hope. And in that light, I don't think our lives are easy in Christ because, you know, that spiritual realm is woken up, is, is, is awoken both for our salvation but also in opposition as well as the battle we face in our own hearts. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that. And I hope you don't lose sight of that because He, he promises to be with us through these things, not always to deliver us from them. And if today you're struggling with what you, what you see, what you experience, or what you can't see, and which you, what you wish you could see spiritually, if there's much you don't understand about your sufferings and your soul pain, and if you're tired and weary, which I am and I'm sure you are too in these days, and I, just please pray that you will see Jesus and that you will recognize the gift He is in the very complexity of your day-to-day -day life and of mine, and see the shalom, the peace that He brings in order uh, to uh, be reunited with our Father. And may that I hope that transforms our lives and that gift uh, that is uh, promised to us is the most precious one that we have, and not one that we treat um, with disdain, which is so easy for us to do, isn't it? With our flesh and blood, lives and thinking, mentalities, which uh, Christ has come to redeem and renew and transform. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And we know it's a battle for us, um, and we know that often we don't see things and how easily we fall under the deception uh, of thinking that God is rough and bad and unfair and mean, and that we deserve better, and ignoring uh, this remarkable event which brings on the remarkable reality of uh, a life of obedience and then a death of huge and incomparable and unimaginable suffering and judgment in our place, so that we might live so that we might breathe your air and that we might know you. To know is, whom to know is eternal life. Lord, help us not to live in the shadows. Keep us from bitterness or pain that separates us from you. Help us to know your victory and understand that victory, even in the midst of battle and difficulty. And we rejoice genuinely, be able to rejoice genuinely for the reason for the season. Amen.